So I had this idea that I wanted to do a podcast about a week ago. And why did I want to do it? Because I had the sense that suddenly we're in this very peculiar situation where we're all going through approximately the same set of processes, but it's kind of staggered by a week or two here or there, depending on where you're actually located on the surface of the globe. And I I just find it very peculiar. I was kind of going off my head a bit, like a lot of people, just by spending too much time online, trying to learn as much as I could about what was happening, trying to keep up with political events, trying to keep up with political measures that were happening in different countries all over the world. And eventually I felt like my brain was going to burst out of my ears. So when I find myself in situations like that, the thing that I have to do is talk to somebody to just kind of get my get myself back on a on an even footing and I figured there's probably a lot of people who are feeling like that so hopefully the conversations I'm going to have with people over the next few weeks will help um, you who are listening as well as me to just have a sense of perspective and you know just I don't know just even if it just distracts you for 20 minutes um, in a day that's 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 not nothing that's that's really kind of worth something, I think. Um, so that's why I'm doing this. It's called the Social Distance Podcast. And by the way, before Amanda starts, um, if it sounds like I'm recording this in my car, that's because I am actually recording this in my car because this is now my studio um, because the kids are home from school. So, um, yeah, um, it seems to be working quite well, really. There's nobody else here, so it's quite quiet. And I guess that's good. So anyway... I'm going to start with a conversation I had with Amanda Hargreaves, who's a radio producer I used to work with when I was working in Edinburgh at the BBC. Amanda has been living in Rome for seven years with her husband, Chiro, and their two children. And funnily enough, they were, I mean, I say funnily enough, it's not that funny. She was just getting ready to begin the process of packing the whole family up because they decided they were going to move back to the UK. And then COVID-19 happened. So I started by asking Amanda when she became aware of how significant the outbreak of cases of COVID-19 in northern Italy really was. I guess when it started becoming a big deal in Wuhan, um, which was quite quickly, if you remember, but we didn't know about it, any of us, until January, roughly, did we? You know, it wasn't really voiced much before January, in my memory. At that point, it was clear that what was going to happen there, rather like SARS a few years ago, would would come further afield. Um, But nobody had an idea of how, you know, massive the effect was going to be on, on us. But then very quickly after that, problems started mushrooming in Milan and Lombardy. And the figures were so scary so quickly there that um, we were all watching in horror thinking, okay, well, let's see how they managed to contain it there. So they went straight from, you know, 0 to 60 quite quickly, but not quickly enough in Lombardy. And we were all sort of floating around doing our own thing pretty much unchanged down south. Rome being in the south, if you remember, really, we're, we're not in the centre, we're in the south, thinking, well, you know, let it stay there. Um, if they can manage it, because they've got a 
much more efficient health system and all the rest of it than we have down here. Things work traditionally in the north of Italy. It's a different culture, different way of doing things. We're the shambolic south. They're the efficient north. Surely, you know, it'll work okay. Um, but it was clear that even even in the north, apart from the fact that the lockdown was a bit kind of, the, the rules were not being obeyed, shall we say, by an awful lot of people, um, it was too late. And then, of course, all these people started escaping from Milan and going back down south to what was home, essentially. And because the law allowed you to go home rather than just stay in the place of your work, there was a bit of a loophole there. So a lot of people took advantage of that before they closed that down. And that meant that all of those bugs came with them. So, in fact, today is only two weeks after the last, you know, escape from Milan down to the south happened. And people are looking, you know, goggle-eyed to see how many infections have been sprouting up in that part of the world to, to kind of measure how bad it's going to get down here. Now, of course, already it's got here. And they've really tried to minimize it by introducing all these drastic measures day after day after day. You can't even plan for the next day because if you say to yourself, oh, tomorrow I'll go to the chemist and get X, and then suddenly, boom, the next day, you know, chemists are closed, you know, and you're like, uh, if I'd known, you know, I mean, it's just... It's like that every day at the moment. So just this morning, Chira was looking at the the news feed and it was like, okay, from tomorrow, petrol stations are closed. It's like, what? Okay, right. Just in case, I don't know what we do with this petrol apart from set fire to the house. Anyway, he so he went rushing off down to the petrol station um, to get petrol and he's come home and that's it. You know, we've got petrol now and tomorrow it's closed. You've got no time to absorb the change to your lifestyle from one day's directives before they've changed again. You know, we've had three different uh, forms that you have to print out, fill in, put in all your kind of government statistical details like your tax code and all the rest of it, which is typically Italian. You know, you can't go anywhere without any of these. And... um, Carry it with you, with your mask and your gloves and your identity card, so that if anyone stops you and says, where do you think you're going? You can say, ah, I am out for one of these four motives, which could be, you know, a visit to a medical you know, person, doctor, or going to get essential supplies, i.e. supermarket, or to um, I have to go to my work. And of course, that's now been taken away because nobody's allowed to work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> unless it's at home you're not allowed to go to your place of work anymore as of two days ago i think so all of this means that you have to keep abreast of it so much of your day is spent reading shitloads of stuff coming through on you know whatsapp internet email news feeds school chat groups you know whatever is the municipality communicating with you or is it the federal government and how do the how's the information getting to you well it's quite old-fashioned in a way because what happens is every evening uh, usually at six o'clock but it has occasionally been twice in an evening um the prime minister goes on telly 
on national TV and does a little roundup of today's events and the death toll and what he's decided to do. And he gives us a great exhortation to, you know, show our true grit and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and to, you know, please follow the rules. And the following rules have been imposed as of tonight because, you know, situations still dire. And then he lists the sorts of limitations to our movements as a population. And then that all gets published and signed in various official decrees, which I'm not kidding, often 70 pages long. And they then get issued to the newspapers, you know, within about two or three hours and then online to various, you know, organs. And and then they get dispersed around the population that way. So if you haven't listened to the actual broadcast direct you get it through somebody you know he'll send you something it'll turn up you can't really miss it um but you know there's lots of detail you can miss you know like there'll be sort of a 30 page um addendum um appendix telling you exactly what kind of food chain supplier can remain open for the next four days before they have to get their last lorry load out of the field or whatever it may be you know you there's a lot of detail if you if you're concerned yourself by that sort of detail then you have to look for it quite hard so for instance hotels you know i know lots of people who work in the hospitality industry and you know obviously they were the first to be really badly hit suddenly you know cancellations everywhere bookings you know gone nobody going to the restaurant etc etc and then they had to close those for obvious reasons but hotels remained open because they had tourists in them what could they do with these tourists you know they couldn't and they the tourists had nowhere to go because everything was closed at six o'clock they couldn't go to a restaurant they couldn't go to a bar so they had to maintain room service of some description and then these people were trying to get home you know back to the states or sometimes china you know a lot of chinese tourists in rome and um and they weren't getting the flights because the airports had cancelled all or, you know, the airlines had cancelled all the flights back to this there or the next place or the countries the other end weren't letting people in. So, it, it, it you know, it was it's been a chaos in some parts of the, the sort of infrastructure from the very beginning and is just in a way simplified now because everything has stopped, not just most things but everything. So now, you know, you're allowed to go 200 meters from your door for a walk on your own in a mask and gloves, but you're not allowed to go further than that or you get fined. And on Saturday, or was it Sunday, they fined 30,000 people in one day for breaking the rules of some description, like, you know, going 205 metres from their door or whatever it might have been, with no proper excuse. And those fines are between 250 euros and 1,000 euros and a criminal record. So I don't know how they're going to process all that. Well, and they do it on the spot as well. You know, it's not like, you know, we'll send you a letter, you know. <laughs> it's serious because they know that they have to scare people into doing what they should be doing well so you but you're but you're telling me this you're telling me this with a sort of exasperated tone in your voice um but which suggests almost that you're not that you're in two minds about it but it's uh, like how are you feeling about it yeah you're right you're right i am exasperated in the sense that i think i'm exasperated that so many people continue to try and get around the rules do you see what i mean it's like 
it's an Italian tendency. I mean, you could say it's now a UK tendency or an anywhere else tendency for all I know, because people don't trust authority. It's like either people don't want to know or they're too scared to accept the underlying point or they just think, oh, but it doesn't affect me really because. I'm kind of curious about that. It's, it's interesting because what struck me about it when I when I was reading these headlines, there was he- like a headline, I don't know if it was in the New York Times maybe a week ago or something, it was like, the big question is, can Italians obey the rules? And I, 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 on the <laughs> yeah. one hand, I, I, I suppose that's okay. On the other hand, it just seemed like this very sort of offhand, casual way of dismissing an entire nation based on a kind of very trite stereotype that, um, you know, like, you know, can the Irish manage to stay out of the pubs <laughs> on St. Can Patrick's they? Day? <laughs> you know what yes, I mean? I know. <laughs> I know. But it, the trouble is, like most stereotypes, it has a grain of truth in it. And in the case of Italy, it's not it's not it's not people. If you think about it, it's a political culture that has existed for so long that it's filtered through to a general attitude in most people. They don't you know, they don't think twice if they can get around a rule, they'll get around a rule because mostly the rules are for somebody else. And generally, the rules are seem to be unfair. And therefore, when you have a a fair rule, it's such an oddity that people don't automatically stop and think about why that rule is there. They just think, "Uh, you know, well, why should I stay away from Auntie Doris? Auntie Doris lives downstairs. You know, Auntie Doris is is a part of my family, so she's not going to give me any nasty bugs. And I know her. Therefore, why am I not going to go and give a kiss to my Auntie Doris? And, you know, just to give you an example, it's a sort of because people live here in groups, people live here much more close knit than they do in the UK, I think. It's very hard to get a family where the whole block, for instance, where we live, we're the only family who isn't related to the dentist on the first floor. You know, he's got his niece in one flat. He's got his mother-in-law in another flat. He's got his, you know, sister-in-law in another flat. They've taken over the whole building um, over the years. You know, they all own their flats. We're the only renters. And therefore, to them, it's like living in one big house to an extent. You know, they're often shuffling up and down the stairs to see each other in their slippers. Now, how do you tell somebody who cooks dinner for their mother-in-law, you know, routinely because she's not very well and can't get about that you can't suddenly because she's, you know, at risk. It's very hard to get that sort of um, distinction between I'm doing my bit and, um, you know, I have to impose this separation on my family for the good of, you know, the wider community. And in China, I think they had the same problem. You know, they would be one entire building where everybody got the coronavirus. Boom, 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 boom. Because, you know, they were living in such close quarters that they couldn't avoid each other. And the same would happen here much more easily than it would perhaps in a more northern society where, you know, I take my own family, you know, we've got sister living in one country, mum living in another country. You know, none of us have to live on top of our rallies. No, and... And and you know, I, um, in the in the interest of continuing the stereotypes, you know, the the Scots aren't aren't the greatest of huggers, you know. 
Well, quite. So here, just as a matter of just thinking about what you just said, you know, two metres distance is the recommended distance you have to stay away from somebody in the UK. Here, it's one metre. Oh, is that right? Now, why is that? <laughs> is it because the Italian coronavirus can't jump that far outside of Italy? Or is it, you know, it, it's just... It's bizarre. And it must have been predicated on the fact that people are so used to being right on top of each other that one meter is about as much as psychologically they can stand, you know, to be away from each other. I don't know. It's, it's why is that differing from between here and uh, there? I, I, yeah, I have, I have no idea. Is, is there a time limit on how long you're allowed to go out for? No. In fact, they haven't imposed hours for going out all so you could go out and walk, you could walk back and forth over your 100 metres for however long you... Yeah, they haven't told us that you should, they've told us, you know, you can, you should try and limit your outings to the as few as possible. However, until they say you're only allowed out of the house once a day, which they haven't yet said, well, that may be tomorrow for all I know, um, there is no stopping you from going 200 yards round and round and round and round outside your front door, you know, really, if you want to, as long as obviously you're keeping away from other people, you've got to have at least that metre's distance, which is no problem if you live in a suburb, you know, where there's a lot of green spaces and really you're not on top of people when you're out in the street. But just to, you know, in, in, in our case, for two weeks now, we've had this very strange feeling that you wake up and the world is quiet, really quiet. You know, Rome has a distant roar of traffic almost all the time, no longer. So you actually hear, you know, there are a lot of trees here, a lot of birds. You hear the birds in way, very loud birds too, you know, that I wouldn't have noticed before. <laughs> and then you, you don't hear the children playing the playground because we're opposite the school. And normally there's screams, you know, from kind of first thing in the morning and then at break time and the rest of it, nothing, dead quiet. I'm trying to get up at a sort of normal time because I, I'm a morning person these days and I feel the day just goes otherwise. But I'm not managing anymore to get up at six, which is what I used to do. I've been getting up at seven or 7.30 and I'm exhausted. Why? I don't know. Don't ask me. I think, you know, there's an element of, you know, you you know you don't have to really. So your body just goes, sleep, you know. So, uh, And the kids are desperately undisciplined about things like that because they have been forced out of bed at, you know, quarter to seven for school days for years now. And now the online school system is still very shambolic. So if they've got they've got a video lesson at 10, so they say, get me out of bed at 10 to 10, mom, you know, and you're like, well, yeah, but the camera is going to be on. I don't care. You know, I mean, it's just like they're so unmotivated to, to do to do the little that is actually online and, and then even less motivated to do the piles of homework that we've still got piles of homework you know and of course I'm the one who's policing all of that and I hate doing it and that I think that's the thing is is every day you get up and you think I'll do this I'll clean the windows I'll go and you know buy bread that's two hours standing in a queue but hey at least we'll have fresh bread you know that kind of thing your day goes with minutia so instead of making a lovely podcast or writing a novel or you know 
watching watching the birds fly outside your window, which people keep going. Before the coronavirus took off, everyone was saying, oh, it's great. You can watch all the Netflix series you never got time to watch. Bugger that. If you're a parent, I've never been so bloody knackered, you know, because it's every day trying to keep people from tearing each other's throats out in your immediate vicinity, trying to keep them from getting really demoralized because at that age, we're talking adolescence here, they're used to being out and about with their mates, going to school for the social aspect alone is important, you know, moving around, doing sports, you know, all of this, poor buggers, they can't do any of that. And and you have you have two children, right, uh, Marco? Yes, Marco, who's fourteen and a half, nearly, and Valentina, who's just turned eleven, last month. Um, and you know they're both very different, and they've both reacted differently. I would say to this confinement. What about your neighbours then? Like, I mean, do you have a sense of? Um, in general, um, how people around you are feeling about either the way that the government has dealt with things or is there an atmosphere of nervousness amongst people? Or Yeah, I mean, there is. Um, there is a great deal of nervousness amongst people because, you know, the figures are, are really scary and the Italian media is nothing if not, um, you know, kind of, <laughs> shall we say, overblown in its reporting about things in general you know they they do have a kind of red top headline screaming you know screaming lurgy type attitude towards reporting most news so this hasn't helped and the fact is that everybody's terrified of having to go to hospital really and there's a lot of elderly people in Italy, which is partly why the death toll is so high here, as everybody's admitted now. Um, but also, you've got people who are, um, over time, they've got used to it. Over two weeks, you can see the difference. I was going out to the supermarket and, and really quite enraged at the sight of clumps of people happily walking around together. They still hadn't got the picture, you know. And this week, I've noticed far fewer maybe because they've been fined, I don't know. But, you know, people are much more careful about keeping their distance. They're much more careful in queues. You know, this isn't a country which is very good at queuing, generally speaking. And here, people are queuing very carefully outside supermarkets, you know, um, and very carefully, you know, paying attention to who's in front, who's behind, and keep that distance and blah, 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 which is weird for, for a place which is, happily shambolic in in other ways generally um so yeah i mean people are sort of they they're getting used to it i would say uh, the exception being probably the younger people the younger people were the last people who wanted to obey the rules you know the, the, the prime minister for the first few weeks was ranting away every night at how the shopping centers were full of gangs of teenagers and people were going to the discos and people were going to the clubs and people were going to the restaurants you know of that age group because for them it was like one big holiday <laughs> and that's partly why he closed everything down you know where people could get together but even so i mean i know from my own son you know who's like well all my friends live in the same block and they meet up in their gardens because no one can see them there apart from you know complicit parents um and I was saying, yeah, but you're not going to join them. And they're, but why can't? Why can they? And I can't. 
Yeah, because they're just not paying attention to the rule because they haven't understood how serious it is. And and we're not going to let you do that. You know, big row ensues. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. It's easier when everybody is following the rules, which they are a bit more now because they've kind of got used to it, basically. So um, it's impossible to ask you anything about the, the next couple of weeks because, I mean, I guess you just have no idea. Oh, we don't know, do we? No, I mean, we're being told that a slightly less high increase of deaths has happened over the past two days. And if that trend continues, we may have passed the peak in the north of Italy. However, that's no guarantee to say that that same sort of peak will not then occur somewhere else like the south. There's no guarantee of that at all. And therefore, they're, they're almost not daring to say it because they don't want people to go, yay, it's over, it's done, right, that's it. They're all starting, stopping, you know, dying like flies in Milan, therefore we'll be fine. So if in any case we're being, you know, people are no longer talking very clearly about a, an end date to this. Only a week ago, all these measures were being introduced to the 25th of March or the 3rd of April, like the closure of schools. Then there were mutterings about, oh, well, actually, after Easter, it would make more sense to open the schools. And now, I mean, my daughter asked her teacher online during an Italian lesson, she said, you know, do you really think they're going to open it in April? And she said, I don't think they're going to reopen them at all this year, which is pretty much what they've said in the UK as well. You mean the school year or? Yeah, the school year. Yeah. Well, let's hope it doesn't go into the calendar year. But yeah, the school year. And that's a hell of a thought because, you know, it's one thing to say, we'll do this for two weeks. Okay, we'll do this for three weeks. Okay, we'll do this for four weeks. But it's really tough on all of us. And you'll be the same, you know, give you give yourself a couple of weeks and think about, how do I cope with the long term of this? It's almost like your brain just doesn't want to take it in. You know, you, you, you just have to do each day's little circle of, of tasks in order to keep going. Well, it, it's, it's a, I was trying to think of uh, something to compare this with. And the only thing that I could think of was that the moment that we're in with the scale of the upheaval is like the upheaval that has been predicted if there is, say, a 2.5 degree increase in global climate over 50 years, except it's happening in a couple of months, you know what I mean? In terms of just stuff grinding to a halt and yeah. people yeah. suddenly being policed in their uh, private lives. And, and that's another issue that no one seems to be talking about yet, which is how much should should we be concerned about the fact that we're giving uh, emergency powers to police in countries all over the world and emergency powers tend to accumulate and then not dissipate it's not like okay crisis over we're going to we're going <laughs> to give all these powers back you know if you, yeah. if you look at australia the the rules the laws that have been passed since 911 there's over a hundred, I think, still on the books. They, it's not like they ever go away. And I just kind of wonder about all that stuff. It's just tons and tons and tons of unknowns. So, Yeah, because in fact, I think most people are starting to realise globally that, 
there is the the sort of queasy feeling that democracy is at stake at some level, but also that we're never going to go back to the way we lived before anyway. You know, it's it's actually, if you think about it, once you've got people used to working from home, why are you going to pay the office, you know, overheads? Once you've got people used to doing, you know, all sorts of things, relying much more heavily on technology, much less on, you know, footfall, et cetera, et cetera. Why would you continue doing this, that or the other? And I think it, it's it going to make us think more carefully about all sorts of areas of life that we've had curtailed extremely suddenly out of necessity, which if we'd been trying over years, as you say, to introduce green measures or or whatever, you know, to stop people traveling, to stop people you know, cluttering up the ozone layer with this, that or the other. It would have been endless conferences and endless little incremental improvements and then three steps back, two steps forward for, for decades. Here we are, boom. It's all happened in the space of a week because it had to. And then you can see that given a bit of time of living differently, people forget how they lived really before. And I think that's going to be an effect of of a lockdown that goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks you stop wanting desperately some of the stuff that you took for granted before you start thinking about what you really want and maybe that's the good thing about it so i mean lots of people can imagine different areas of what lies ahead but can you imagine you know what your life might be like in a year's time if you know given the magnitude of this particular sort of situation if it carries on like this for a bit longer and certain things get taken away from you for good how's it you know we will evolve we'll get used to that really quickly too i suspect amanda hargreaves is a radio producer living still living in italy for now thanks amanda for taking the time and thank you for listening to the Social Distance Podcast.